I want to talk about true prosperity. You know, I was thinking of New Year's message and, and, uh, and just as you face the new year. And I want to challenge you and encourage you. But I also want you to discern the difference between the counterfeit prosperity that's being taught today in the church versus true prosperity that we're supposed to have in Christ. And how the counterfeit prosperity just sounds so good, you know. Uh, it's called the prosperity gospel. It's the most popular form of the gospel on television, you know. If you tune into the Trinity Broadcasting Network, you'll see Kenneth Copeland and Creflo Dollar and Joseph Prince and uh, these, you know, popular teachers, Joel Osteen, uh, and they teach that, you know, God basically wants you to be rich. It's called name it and claim it because if you just name it and you have enough faith in your words, that, that that reality will come to pass and that God wants everybody to have, you know, a really nice car, you know, you can drive a Maserati or a Ferrari or you can have a mansion on a hill. I, mean, I don't know if there's enough hills for all Christians to have mansions on them though. But, and then, you know, God wants you to always be healthy if you're sick, you're either in sin or you don't have enough faith and it's your fault. Uh, Christians ought never be sick and so forth. And th- that prosperity movement has really seduced a lot of the church. I mean, you don't, do you realize how much money it takes to broadcast nationally on like TBN, for instance? cost millions and millions of dollars to for these ministries but they're raking in hundreds of millions many of them buying lear jets several jets sometimes and uh and it, and it takes a ton of money but the way they do it is they say hey if you give to our ministry a thousand dollars you'll get a hundredfold back the bible says jesus said you get a hundredfold back so you'll get a hundred thousand back so people are just pouring in so they're giving to get and so forth and it's become an insidious doctrine but if you don't know there's a, it gets a little bit deeper as far as what's behind this doctrine that seduces us and many Christians that you run into will have subscribed to the prosperity gospel and it essentially teaches that we are gods which is not biblical the bible says there's only one god god says he'll have another, he has no god there'll be no gods before him or after him but they teach that that we could be just like Jesus in the sense of we could become like little Christ and we're supposed to become Christ like but we don't become little Jesuses but what they do is they teach that Jesus, when he died on the cross, some of them teach, like Kenneth Copeland, that probably the most popular of those teachers, the word faith teachers, prosperity gospel teachers, that he became an emaciated demoniac on the cross, possessed, and because he, be, he took our place. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says he's the innocent lamb of God on the cross, amen, and he bore the penalty of our sin, but he was sinless, amen, but they all teach, you know, he became a demoniac. Then he went to hell and burned in hell for us. The Bible doesn't teach he burned in hell either for us. And that when he rose again, he was born again. Like he had to become born again. That's false too. It's called the born again Jesus. Jesus was never, didn't have to be born again, amen? Um, and then they teach that he conferred on his apostles and his followers the power as to become gods. And then as gods, that just as God spoke the universe into existence, we can speak our reality into existence. We can manifest reality by believing enough and, and conf- confessing a nice Rolls Royce or confessing the big mansion on the hill and through what they call positive confession. That's why when you hear that as these folks pray, you don't usually hear them pray. They don't usually say, God, have mercy on me. Your will be done. They say, I speak this. I speak that. 
So rather than the normative, what you see normally in Scripture is praying, requests be made known to God, it's turned into confessions. And, it's, and, it's, and it gets just really insidious because now it becomes a form of Christianity which you don't see in the early, in the early church in the, in the book of Acts. You don't see it in the early church fathers. And it's, it has seduced a lot of people. And it's very seductive. And the Bible says don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Amen? So I got a little bit of a cold. Hold on one second. Let me confess it. I'm not, I don't have a cold. No. And what they'll do is they won't even admit they've got a cold. If they're sick, their child's sick, because admitting it is a confession. I went uh, with a lady who asked me if I'd pray for her husband who was dying at Las Robles Hospital where my mom had worked for a nurse for many years. And uh, she told me that and I said, yeah, I didn't know her, but she said, when I prayed for her, so I drove to Thousand Oaks, across the hill, over the hill, and just uh, went to pray, and she said, but you're not allowed to say anything negative. You're not allowed to say he's sick. He, he was stage four, going in, the, he's, he only had weeks to live. And you have to say that he's healthy, or you have to have that mentality. And I went in, there were scriptures everywhere. But what they're doing, it's like what's called Christian science. It's a cult. Christian science is a cult. It's not Christian. It's not science either. In Christian science, they believe everything's an illusion. And they call themselves Christian scientists, but they don't even believe Jesus died for their sins. And they believe that, basically, uh, that when you're sick, you don't recognize you're sick. So many people that be going to Christian science wouldn't use medicine. And many people in the prosperity movement have been conformed to the world. In the world, in the occult, they teach a lot of this stuff. You know, you know speaking things to existence, form of witchcraft. And it's the church being conformed to the world, bringing these ideas into the church. It's incredibly destructive. It's incredibly destructive. Um, and, but I want to let you know that the scriptures do promise a, a true prosperity. And uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have to you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That's beautiful. God does want Christians to truly prosper, but God's definition of prosperity and the world's definition of prosperity, as you know, are way different. Amen? And since the church is being com compromised and conformed to the world, it blends and it brings in the world's idea of prosperity. You know? So this is very, very important to understand. God does want to bless us. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on, on it day and night. That's God's word, right? So that you may be careful to do according to all that it's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So God wants you this year, and then this message is basically, the name of it is, you know, prosperity for the new year and for eternity. Because we live, our lives are really brief. How many of you are a little bit older and you're like, yeah, life goes really quick, you know? It's like a roll of toilet paper, it's been said. The more you use it, the faster it goes, you know? Uh, life goes quicker and quicker, man, as you get older. And our lives are like vapors. So why would you, like Joel Olstein, his whole, he wrote a book called Live Your Best Life Now. That's the prosperity movement. It's all about now. Go for the gusto, do it now. When the Bible says, not to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupts and thieves do not break in and steal. 
We're not supposed to seek to have everything now. And the sad thing is, if you gain everything now, Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And what? Loses a soul. If you're living for today and not living for Jesus, if you're living for yourself and not living for Jesus, it's very serious. But true success, brothers and sisters, true prosperity is not living for yourself, it's living for the Lord. True prosperity is knowing Jesus. Amen? True prosperity is, is, is knowing the Lord and getting to know Him better. Amen? And growing in your knowledge of the Lord. Paul said that I might know Him. Amen? And he talked about the power of His resurrection and so forth. But he also said that I might know the fellowship of His sufferings, be made conformable to His death. A lot of Christians like to say, yeah, that, it's good to know him. And the power of his resurrection, amen. But also says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. He was a man of sorrow, the man of sorrow. And be made conformable unto his death, meaning becoming like him. And even being conformed to his death, going through what he went through. He said, if they persecuted me, how much more, said, Jesus said, will he persecute you, my disciples? If they hated me, how much more are they going to hate you? True Christianity has some suffering. And so many scriptures are taken out of context. Like the scripture where Jesus said, God will give you a hundredfold. Now he says he'll give you a hundredfold. He says, a hundred brothers and sisters, a hundred homes. And he says, now, he says, now. Oh, wait, there it is, Joe. That's the great verse for them, right? He'll give it to you now, a hundred homes, hundred brothers and sisters, now. And then it says in persecutions, they don't usually quote that part. And it says, and the world to come, eternal life. But what's a trip is, we do have a hundred brothers and sisters now, amen? Because when you became a Christian, you were born again into the family of God, amen? The apostles that Jesus said that to, you know, they were pretty poor, a lot of them. They, they died as martyrs. They didn't have a hundred homes. They had fellowship, though. They had koinonia. They had all things in common, Acts chapter 2, amen? Jesus was told, hey, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are out there. And Jesus said, who is my mother and my brother and my sisters? But those who hear the word of God and abide by it, amen? We have all kinds of brothers and sisters in Christ, amen? And guess what? We have things in common. That's why I could come here and guess what? I praise God I've been able to stay at, at Pagan Kenny's house. Thank you guys for opening up your home. Um, and sorry, my wife put too much toilet paper in the toilet paper, and I had to use the plunger to get it out. No, I'm just teasing. There was more to that. There was more to that picture. There was nothing in there but toilet, some toilet paper. But anyway, at first, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> hey, you know, so I was supposed to be somewhat transparent, right? No, just kidding. Uh, Peggy's like, I go, Peggy, you got a plunger? She's like, oh, let me call Tom, and, and then she starts calling everybody in the church. I'm like, don't do that, you know, yeah. No, she just called Tom, but she already had it. She had a plunger we found. But, uh, but guess what? If we're there, we could also, if they didn't open their home, somebody else here would have because we love each other. If they didn't open their home, somebody else would have. And that person didn't, they would have until they heard the plunger story maybe. But you know what I'm saying. You know? So, uh, but God is good. We have all kinds of brothers and sisters all around the world, amen? In all kinds of homes, God will take care of us. I've never seen the, the righteous begging for bread. If someone's a true brother, now, we have to, you can't just say, I'm a brother, and just be a parasite. The Bible says if you, you, you call yourself a brother and you refuse to work, don't let them eat, amen? So God's not talking about a 
welfare system where someone refuses to follow the Lord, refuses to work, but they want to sponge off the church either. So God has it all taken care of, all woven together. So these scriptures are out of context. They, they take that verse and say, ooh, 100 homes. God wants us Christians. Oh, you should have 100 homes now. It's not what it's saying. A text, text, a Bible text has a context. That's why you want to read before and you want to read after. You'll notice when Nick is teaching, he's really good about context. You know, here's what it says before. Here's what it says after. A text without a context, you take the text away from the context. All you're left is, with is a big con. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one to remember, right? That's what they do. They take these texts out of context. And it's really weird because they twist different scriptures. Well, how do they say we're gods and have the power to create like God did with our words? Because God spoke the universe in existence. They, some of them, like Kenneth Copeland, take Hebrews 11.3, which says we understand through faith that God created the heavens and the earth. And what does that mean? We look at that and the average person will read that. We understand by faith, meaning through faith, by trusting the Lord. Because it's all about having faith, right? And you read the Hall of Faith chapter, these are people that trusted God. But they say, no, it means by faith, we understand by faith. But it's that God created the heavens and earth through his faith. He just believed it enough. And if we believe things enough, we can create, you know, our own reality. Not that we understand it by faith, meaning by trusting the Lord, but we, God did it by faith. He just spoke it out and believed it. And if you believe hard enough, you'll get what you want. Well, the Lord does want us to trust him and believe his will for our lives, amen? But he doesn't want us to run around like sorcerers, like a bunch of little Harry Potters trying to create our own reality by just believing hard enough and give me a hundred houses and give me this. Uh, that, that's a dead end and that's another text that's taken out from its context, leaving you just with a con. Now, the Bible warns that there would be these false teachers in the last days. I told you that you really didn't see this much in the early church. You know, and if you did, it would be considered a false teacher. But in Jude chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Woe to them, these false teachers. It says certain people in chapter 1, verse 4. Well, verse 3 says, Earnestly contend or fight for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Why? For certain persons have crept in unaware or unnoticed, who are turning God's grace into a license for immorality. But then he warns, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, because Cain didn't love his brethren. And they have fallen into the air, he says, of Balaam, right? Remember the air of Balaam? What was the air of Balaam? He, for money, prophesied for King Balak. He got paid. He, would, he, tried to, he wasn't able to twist the word there, but he, he, was, uh, he was a prophet for hire, for, for money. In fact, in Second Peter, it talks about the way of Balaam as well. In Second Peter chapter 2, and it says, who was restrained by the dumb by the donkey, the dumb donkey, after he was hired by Balak to curse the people of Israel. And it says he was led away by his greed. And Peter says in that same chapter, through their greed, they will exploit you. And that's what's happening today in the word faith movement, prosperity movement. It says because of their practices in verses three and four, the way of the truth will be maligned. One translation says, well, the way of truth will be brought, and the way of truth is Christianity. Jesus is the way through the life. The way of the truth will be brought into disrepute. So in other words, Christianity will get a black eye because of these false teachers that are all about money. By the way, has that been being fulfilled? You didn't see that in centuries past. Rarely you see that pop up. But now it's systemized into a whole theological construct called prosperity gospel. So you don't want to be seduced by that. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul speaks of men with constant friction between men of depraved minds 
deprived of the truth in verse 5, who suppose that godliness is a means of financial gain. The NIV has financial gain. So they teach that if you're godly, you'll get a lot of finances, you'll get a lot of riches. And Paul says to these men, he says, but then he goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's just those wanting to be rich where they make, the, instead of Jesus, becoming rich becomes the main thing in their lives. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. He said mammon, mammon means money. You either hate the one and love the other, you love the one and hate the other. You can't even put them as first and just money just barely second. No, there needs to be a huge chasm between Jesus and everything else, amen? That's what our lives should be marked by, amen? Now we have a good God who wants to meet all of our needs. In Philippians 4.19, Paul's writing from prison, a Roman prison to Philippians. He says, you know, that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, Amen? He wants to meet our needs. Paul, in that same chapter I just quoted from in 1 Timothy 6, says, be content with food and... Does that bell mean I'm done? No, I'm just kidding. I heard it sounded like a church bell. Was it? That's pretty cool. Uh, but he said, be content with food and covering. Amen? You got food and covering? Be content. You know, be thankful to the Lord. All this is very important. He's a good God. First Chronicles 16.34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus says to his own apostles, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give you what you ask? Amen? So he cares about us. He loves us. He wants to meet our needs. Amen? He blesses all of us in so many ways. And how many of you could admit he gives me more than just my needs? He's also blessed me with many of my wants. Amen? We've got such a good God. But, you know, the thing is, guys, we don't, I am so glad, you know, I didn't get, become a Christian all of a sudden have millions of dollars given to me by God. Why? Because Jesus said, how difficult is it for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God? Luke 18, 24. God could give us riches. Many of us would get these riches and it would ruin us. You know, I know that because Proverbs 30, chapter 30, verses 8 and 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So it's important to understand that, that having too much could really be a downfall. Right? Now, you could say, well, what if I got a lot, but I gave a lot of it away and helped the church and did all those things and blessed the Lord with it? Well, praise the Lord. That's good. Amen. If that's your heart and, you know, but if you're spending all your money trying to win a lottery ticket, it's got to be God's will because I really kind of want that little mansion too. You know, you got to be careful. You don't want to trick yourself. You know, you want to live for the Lord. But a lot of these guys will say Jesus was rich. They'll say the apostles were rich because that's what they teach. And they drive the most expensive cars and have private jets and you know Kenneth Copeland was asked why he has to have such a nice jet he says well why he just doesn't fly private or I mean public and stuff he goes well do you kind of realize what kind of people are on airplanes I have to fly above them so that way I don't have the demons around me so I'm out of the stratus the demonic stratosphere and I'm protected up there just silly silly stuff right bad stuff 
So, but guess what? Jesus wasn't rich. Oh, he was rich before he became a man. He became the man of sorrows because he was God. He's God, amen? He is God. Never stopped being God. The apostle Paul wasn't rich. In fact, Peter wasn't rich because when the rich man was, when the poor guy was begging in the early chapters of Acts, Peter says, silver and gold, I have none. So much for Peter being the first pope because he has all kinds of silver and gold. You ever see the Vatican? Okay. But he says, silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I give unto you. Amen. And he heals him. Amen. The apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, that we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We are poor yet making many rich. Jesus had no place to lay his head. He said, the foxes have dens and the birds there have nests. But the Son of Man, he said, no, has no place to lay his head. He was nomadic. He was entering uh, preacher, went from place to place, you know. He wasn't living it up. In fact, we right now, many of us, probably all of us, are richer than the apostles were and Jesus was. I mean, how many of you rode a camel here? No one, right? Probably drove in a car, right? I mean, we have so much that they didn't have. I would read where the emperor of Rome would send horses, several of them, they'd be stationed in different places, back and forth to the Alps to get some ice. So he got have ice with his drink. And horses would die back and forth. Man, you just go to 7-Eleven and get icy. Amen? And we just got it so, and I'm not saying that's bad. That's, thank you, Jesus. Don't just, don't drink too many ices, right? But thank you, Jesus. You know, we're blessed in so many ways. So why do we want to grasp for more and more and we'll never be satisfied? The Bible says the leech asks for more and more, but it's never satisfied. You won't be satisfied until you're satisfied in Jesus. Amen? And that's the application you need to make to your life. Lord, help me find my satisfaction in you. I love the songs that, that Leah chose and they sang her and Robbie when they led worship and, you know, and, and uh, that he's my treasure. Jesus is my treasure. That he is enough. Amen? And when you have Christ, you have everything, ultimately, amen? Because the Bible says that we're heirs of Christ and we're heirs of all things. The Bible says if God did not spare his only begotten son, how will he not give us all things, amen? It says we are joint heirs with Christ. So in eternity, we're walking on streets of gold. It's like the guy that saved up a bunch of gold and he knocked on heaven's door and Peter's like, you know, why do you bring asphalt? The guy goes, what do you mean? He goes, our streets are made of gold. You don't realize what you guys have coming. We have coming in Christ, amen? But the awesome thing is, even though heaven is going to be so beautiful, we have the main thing now that we get in heaven that makes us most joyful. That's Jesus, amen? Are you with me today? It's so important to understand this and, and get this. Uh, it's interesting because let's listen to what it says of Jesus. Second Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, uh, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. So God became a man to make you eternally rich. And the riches he's talking about there, if you look at Second Corinthians 8, it's all about his grace. It's all about his salvation. It's not about you getting really rich right now on earth. It's something better than being really rich on earth. It's being rich in God. Jesus talked about who will, in Luke 16, who will the Father trust the true riches to? He understood there were true riches. But then he's also warned about what Jesus called the deceitfulness of riches. And he says, do you know that you cannot add one cubit to your soul by the things that you possess? He says, happiness is not found in the things that you possess. 
we have the joy of the Spirit. I don't know if you guys saw this over here in this neck of the woods, but we did a video a few months ago. Uh, and that video has well over a quarter million, over, I think, 300,000 views now. And it's called Super Celebrities. And uh, it's called Super Celebrities. What the devil doesn't, Super Celebrities and what the devil doesn't want you to know. And it's like less than an hour long. And usually a video that's 59 minutes long doesn't get a ton of hits because people don't want to click a long video. But we have over 300,000 views on it with thousands of responses because over and over again we show the world's most successful people. You know, whether it's Tom Brady saying, why do I have all these Super Bowl wins but I'm not happy, you know. Brad Pitt, I've got fame, I've got all these different things. I realize that's not where it's at. It's spiritual atrophy of the soul, you know. You know, you have musical artists, some of the biggest ever saying, I'm so lonely. Michael Jackson saying, I'm the loneliest person you've ever met. Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, writing to his pastor, Pastor Hamlin. He goes, I'm doing all the things you told me not to do. And I'm, the, and I'm absolutely miserable, you know. John Lennon writing to a Christian minister, you know, from, who was a Christian TV minister. I think he was a founder of CBN, you know. Um, he went off the rails, but he writes to him, John Lennon saying, I need out of hell, on the, I'm in hell on these drugs, you know. These guys were the most famous guys ever, you know. Remind me, I read a, a thing I just saw in the news, Nikolai uh, uh, Jokic, he was the MVP of the finals last year, won the championship. He's a Serbian guy. He's like seven foot tall, and he may be the best basketball player for his size ever. I mean, he's just crazy good. And he goes, you know what? When I, when I retire, I don't want anybody to know who I am because he says it's not about fame. He goes, I wish I, I could just live life. And he goes, and my children, I just want to play with my kids. He goes, and when I, at my funeral, I want my children not to remember me as a basketball player, just to remember me as their dad. Isn't that cool? Because he's enjoying it, you know, and realizes there's not a lot of joy in it. In fact, when they told him they were going to do the parade after they won the champion, NBA championship, he's like, I have to go to the parade? I just want to go home, back to Serbia, you know. But a lot of people are like, man, if I could be famous and if I could have a parade for me, if I have all this money, then I'll be happy. But a lot of people that are there, they realize it's empty. People that are there realize that's not where true happiness is. It's in Christ. What does it mean that he was rich, but he became poor? Philippians chapter 2 says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the very nature of God, did not consider equality something to be held on to, but he became a man. And he became a servant. And there's a lot of words for servant. I mentioned this recently to our, my own fellowship where we're pa our pastor. And there's a lot of words for servant. I'm like, tell you all the words. I told them all these different words. There are different forms of servant. But you know, the lowest servant was the doulos. And that's what it says Jesus became in the Greek. The New Testament's written in Greek. It says he became a doulos, the lowest of the servants. They were the ones that had no rights whatever. And so it says he became the lowest of servants. You could translate it that way, a bond servant. He had no rights. I mean, he just... Father, your will be done. That's God doing that, guys. God becoming a doulos, amen? And it says he died a death, and it says not just a death, even the death on the cross, amen? My main concern, my main encouragement today to you guys is to have an eternal perspective. Have an eternal perspective. Because these guys teach that God wants to give you, or that 
God wants you rich now. But the thing is, if you live for riches now, you don't live for Jesus. Now, you might just work hard and live, and God might give you money. Praise God. Joseph Arimathea had money. Abraham had money. Okay? Uh, God can bless you that way, but live for God, though. Amen? And use that money for God's glory is the point. You want to live for Jesus. Okay? God's not against you having money unless, you know, it's it's not his will in your specific case. But he doesn't want you to live for it. So, Our application in that is we live for Jesus, amen? And in Jesus, you get the true riches and they're eternal, amen? In this world, you lose your riches ultimately. Ronald Reagan used to tell a story about, and he said it was his favorite story about a guy on an island and he had amassed these different things and, you know, but a hurricane was coming. It was going to destroy everything. And he wisely took a boat back and forth and transported everything to the next island, which missed the hurricane, and that, that's a picture of us. We build up our treasures where? In heaven, because everything is going to burn here ultimately. So whatever we have, we try to use it for God's glory. Amen? Doesn't mean you can't, you know, buy a boat or you can't, you know, you know have nice this or nice that, but just don't live for those things. Amen? Um, they got people boat out here? Idaho? Got a lot of water. I suppose you do, right? Uh, Bill Johnson. He's the pastor of Bethel, which is in Northern California. And it's considered, you know, Bethel is where they say the biggest revival has been happening for years, right? But there's all kinds of strange stuff, you know. They say, oh, you go and you get gold dust on you that God's just showing he wants to bless you. He's a prosperity teacher. And you get gold dust on you. One guy admitted at another, I think it was another church, that they were blowing gold dust through the vents, you know. And people are getting on them. They're saying it was miracles. He admitted what he was doing, you know. But you don't read about God putting gold dust on people in the Bible. So, but Bill Johnson says that God, want, uh, God can choose not to heal someone when he, are, or how could God choose not to heal somebody when he already purchased their healing? Bill Johnson says God always heals. You should always be healthy. Uh, otherwise, you know, as a lot of where faith teachers teach, again, it's sin or you don't have enough faith or whatever. Uh, and that's not the case, though, biblically, as we'll see in a moment. But a Benny Hinn, he's one of the most popular prosperity teachers. Uh, he says, we Christians possess power in our mouths to heal or to kill, just like witches, you know? And he says, uh, if witches and occultists can speak death by the supernatural power words, then Christians can speak, you know, life and prosperity and so forth. So notice what he's saying. He's saying it's similar to witchcraft, Kenneth Copeland also says that we create, visualize, and we create these images, and you create your own reality by speaking it out. He says, I know the New Agers do it, but that's because they know the techniques we have. No, they're borrowing it from the occult, you guys. And these are leading word faith teachers, Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland are at the top of the pyramid for the prosperity movement. And they're admitting what they're doing is right, is like the occult, right out of the occult. Uh, Kosti Hinn. That's Benny Hinn's nephew, who was his personal assistant, would go on ministry tours with him, and he knew something was really wrong because he said, you know, they're driving the best cars and the best jets and the best food, and they had everything. And he realized his his uncle was without Christ. It wasn't Christianity. And he left, he wrote a book about it. He became, he's a pastor now. And Kosti Hinn, Benny Hinn's nephew, wrote, I remember being so confused He said, in our prosperity gospel theology, we command God. We command God to bless us, to give us blessings of health, wealth, abundance. I was viewing my prayers as things that God had to do 
Wow, Betty Hinn says in his book, I need a miracle that we can command God to heal us. Kenneth Copeland also says we can command God and God has to obey us because he has to obey his word. And here's what he teaches. They treat God like a vending machine or a slot machine. Kenneth Copeland says to his audience, all right, reach out there like there's a big old lever. Stick it up there in front of, and get a hold of it. Rip down some more and say this, money, come out to me now. You know, money, come out to me now. Third time, you guys, come, money, come out to me now. You know, that's, God is no longer God who you're seeking to do his will because he made you, showing appreciation that God made in his image and he loves you. He becomes just a slot machine, someone you can manipulate, and you become God. And this is demonic because that's what Satan did. That's what Eve did. She thought she could become God. Satan said, I'll be like the most high God. The Antichrist will sit in the temple. God showed himself that he is God. This is all incredibly demonic. And what's crazy about this, these guys teach that God always heals, right? Well, guess what? You ever see, uh, you know, for instance, Bill Johnson, the head of the Bethel Church that's kind of headed up this revival, a lot of it. If you look at him, he wears, does anybody notice what he wears? He wears glasses. Why isn't he confessing? Eyes work. Boom. Okay. Does he not have enough faith? Is it sin or what? No, we believe the Bible says the outer man is decaying day by day. Amen. The inner person is being renewed day by day. Aren't you glad? We don't have our resurrection bodies yet. We haven't been resurrected yet. You're, you're aware of that. Amen. We're still waiting the resurrection. Our spirits have been redeemed. We've been forgiven. Amen. The Bible says we have been saved. The Bible says we are being saved and ultimately we will be saved. The redemption of our bodies. We're waiting this. Our final salvation includes the resurrection of our bodies. Amen. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter four that we await a savior from heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven who will by his power transform our bodies to be like his resurrected body. Uh, that blows away anything these guys offer. Amen. That's true prosperity. We have a true prosperity. Amen. We have all things in Christ. We're joint heirs of all things. And we have a future resurrection. Oh, yeah, but they can get the Ferraris and the Maseratis. Well, they can. Their followers can't. I went to a Kenneth Copeland crusade where thousands of people were there. I didn't go to watch him. I went there, and I met people on the outside passing out tracts to warn them about him. But you notice, I noticed in his neck of the woods where him and his entourage were parked. He had all these big Rolls Royces and stuff. Then I looked at all the other cars, this sea of cars of people that came to see him. And there's all these, you know, you know, Pintos and back in the day, you know, and so nothing wrong with Pintos. Praise God driving a Pinto, but they're wanting the Rolls Royces. That's why they're there. It just gets all jacked up. It gets all messed up. By the way, Kenneth Copeland, who he has several messages where you, you should be healed already. You shouldn't be sick. He'll say, I've never been sick. Think, or for so many years, I'm sorry. I haven't been sick for all these years. It's a lie. The guy has a pacemaker because of an irregular heartbeat. Okay? Yet this has incredible repercussions on people. In fact, uh, one of the lead singers there at Bethel, uh, one of the worship leaders, uh, named Kaylee, her daughter Olive died. But she refused to take her in and just bury her. And then Bethel ran this whole thing on their Instagram about how they believe that God's going to resurrect Olive. And some days went by, I think it was five days or so. It was, I don't know how many days, it was a few days at least, where finally they just came out and said, okay, well, now we're just going to plan for the memorial. But, and, but her mom, Kaylee, part of a leadership in Bethel, was like, no, God's, there was another boy named Wesley. 
and this was another word faith church and uh, Wesley was an 11 year old and he was dependent upon uh, Wesley was dependent upon uh, insulin right because he needed insulin he was diabetic and his mom and dad because they believed in the prosperity gospel didn't want to recognize that he's sick didn't want to recognize that he needed diabetes and Wesley's like getting sicker and sicker but they don't want to give him insulin because they're denying the reality that he's insulin because they can't say he's sick that'll be a negative confession so there's like no he's healed he's healthy we believe it name it claim it positive confession poor Wesley died you know true story you know in fact his mom and his dad were both arrested for child abuse uh, really really sad and this was Wesley Parker if you want to look that up yeah and uh, his mom and dad were both like I said arrested Larry and Alice Parker the Bible says in Proverbs fourteen twelve, there's a way that seems right to a man but in the end it leads to death there's a way that seems right a lot of these guys are sincere I don't think a lot of their, their teachers are sincere, but I think a lot of the people that follow it are just sincerely deceived. You can be sincerely deceived. The Bible talks about those who are deceiving and being deceived as well. But do you guys know, did, did the Apostle Paul ever get sick? Did Timothy ever get sick? Remember what Paul says to Timothy? Paul wrote First and Second Timothy, and in Second Timothy he says, everyone's forsaken me, Timothy. Demas has forsaken me, having love in this present world. He feels all alone. He goes, but Timothy's still there for him. Timothy's a radical man of God. But and Paul, he has a gift of healing too. But look what Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 5, verse 23 of chapter 1. No longer drink only water, Timothy, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Paul, how dare you confess that Timothy's sick? Paul, why don't you just say, Timothy, ignore your sickness? Why don't you just confess, Timothy, you're healed? He didn't. And Paul was doing all kinds of miracles. He healed a lot of people. But he didn't heal Timothy. And he said, take a little wine with your water. You know, because that, that, that water, if you go to Mexico and you just drink the water straight, you can get pretty sick. You put a few drops of wine in there, guess what it'll do? Disinfect it. Amen? Praise the Lord. You know? Not praise the Lord. He's not talking about getting drunk, okay? But praise the Lord, though, right? That there's some good uses. It. And it's interesting because Paul was talking about a guy named Epaphroditus. I love Epaphroditus. He comes up in Philippians uh, chapter 2, and Paul writes about him. This guy got really sick. He got so sick he almost died. Why? Because he was out of the will of God? Or because he didn't have enough faith? Because he didn't name it and claim it? No, because he was doing the will of God. Look at what Paul writes. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also, Paul writes. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Look at all, all the epitaphs get built up there. And your messenger and minister uh, to my need. He's a so fellow soldier, fellow minister. He's your messenger and mine, you know. He's this awesome man of God, right? Verse 26. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because uh, you heard what, uh, that he was ill. Paul goes on to say, but he was Ill. he's ill because of doing the work of God. He just worked himself to death almost. He needed rest, you know? So it's ridiculous to say, oh, someone's in sin every time someone's sick or something. Uh, what about Paul himself? Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 talked about this thorn in the flesh. 
And in verse 7, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, God gave me this, he says, to keep me from exalting myself. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So God gave him this thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that was. Many books have been written trying to say, maybe it was this, maybe it was that. But we do know some of the things he went through because he says it's a messenger from Satan and it's a thorn in his flesh. It's painful. He said, I asked the Lord three different times to take it from me and he didn't take it. Some of the word faith people say, well, that's because he's asking God. He should just confess it's gone and it won't be there. No. In fact, do you know when we sing that song, uh, The Amazing Grace, you've saved a wretch like me? Sometimes they'll just take out some of these uh, Robert Schuller did that. Take out the wretch like me. No, you don't want to confess that you were a wretch. What? You're just being humble. We're all wretches without Jesus. Amen. Um, you know the song was. I think it was. Uh, Leah could correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Red Matt Redman. Um, uh, Better's one day in his courts. Remember that. You know, and and Job. He quotes the words of Job. You know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Somebody started coming to our fellowship. They left a prosperity church in town and they said because the pastor took that line out because it was a negative confession. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That we don't want to sing a negative confession. And he was already struggling with that church and he was like, that's just too much. That's the word of God you're taking out of the, out of the song. Uh, so it's just really interesting. But Paul, you know what his thorn of the flesh may have been? I'm not sure, but this may have contributed to it. I'll say it at least. I like that we don't know exactly we know some of Paul's problems, but he could have been speaking something very specific because this way we can all identify with Paul. How many of you go through some struggles and you're like, man, you know, I have flat feet or, you know, I have a heart murmur I was born with that I have struggled with or, or I just have, my, my knees are just knobs, you know, or whatever you struggle with, you know. You can say, praise the Lord because we all have little things we have that God, we're not perfect yet, amen? And these things cause us to rely on God, Amen? So when you go through little pains and things like, why did this happen when I was a kid? Or why did that happen? These are sad things, but you know what? Give it to Jesus because he is enough, amen? And he promises to work everything together for the good in your life, even the most horrible things. Oftentimes, especially the most horrible things, to bless you in the long run. That's, that's true prosperity. When you can say, wow, my God will not supply all my needs according to riches glory, but it'll take all things that I go through, even the worst things, and turn them for good. How do you beat that? You can't beat that. In fact, how did Jesus, when he was rich, become poor to make us rich? Now, this is New Year, and you just celebrated Christmas. But when he became a man, where was he born? What town? Bethlehem. He went back because that's the taxes were being done, and they had to go report to where they originally were from. And Mary and Joseph went back to Bethlehem because they were descendants of King David, who was a shepherd in Bethlehem. And there's Jesus born in Bethlehem, but there's more to it. Bethlehem, does anybody remember what that word means in, in Greek? Or in Hebrew, I'm sorry? It means what? What's that? House of bread. Amen, Brenda. House of bread. Because Jesus is the bread. Jesus says, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats from me, he will have eternal life. Oh, by the way, he was born where? No place in the end, so he was born where? In a, in a what? In a manger. What was a manger? Manger is from the word mangia. Mangia, you can pronounce it either way. 
uh, a Latin word, which means to eat. It was a feeding trough where they'd eat the grain, the animals. So here he's born in Bethlehem, the bread that's come down from heaven, born in the feeding trough. And that was his crib. Why? The shepherds are brought there because he's the bread that gives eternal life. Amen? You have everything in Jesus. The greatest gift that could ever be given to you is Jesus. Amen? He is the bread of life. He is the eternal life. Amen? He's the bread that's come down from heaven. And we have, I love it when I, you know, all the brothers and sisters we have in Christ. Here I am in Idaho and I'm seeing brothers and sisters that love Jesus. But there's people that love Jesus, millions of them all over the place, and we're all partaking of the bread of life. At the end of the service here, Nick will lead us in communion. I said, Nick, I want you to pass the fellowship. Come up at the end and lead us in communion, you know. And he's going to remind us, you know, Jesus is the bread of life. That's why we partake of communion. Amen? But it's really interesting. What was Paul's ailment? At least one of them may have been blindness. At least he had terrible vision, it seems. They didn't have glasses in those days, right? So a lot of people suffered with vision problems back in those days, like they do today, without glasses or contacts. But Paul was blinded. Remember on the road to Damascus? He was having Christians killed. He had letters to have other Christians. He was trying to get them. He's pulling them out of their houses, trying to get them to blaspheme Christ. He was. He told us that. He had Stephen killed, and he oversaw that because they took Stephen's bloody uh, clothes. I'm sorry, they took their clothes, and they put them by Paul's feet before they stoned Stephen because they didn't want the blood to splat on their clothes. And Paul said, they put them at my feet. He was a bad guy, man. He was the chief of sinners. Yet Paul says, we read in Acts 9, 8, that when Jesus appeared to Paul, it was such bright light, boom, that he was blinded and fell to the ground. He was blinded. That's a trip. And by the way, blinding, remember what happened to the angels in Sodom and Gomorrah when, they were, uh, when the, the men were trying to rape them? What did God do? What did the angels do? They blinded the men. Blinding someone is a, a judgment. And Paul says, Jesus says, Paul, Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? Boom, he blinds him. He's letting him know, you're in trouble. But Paul said, Lord, and he repented there. And you know, when Jesus healed one blind man, he healed him just part way. Remember that? And then he healed him again even more. We believe it's he healed his physical eyes, but then he healed his brain after that. And there's a reason to believe that which we don't have time to get into. I believe Paul was partially healed, possibly. I don't know. It's a, it's a possibility. We don't know for sure. Because in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, he writes this. At the end of the letter, he writes, see with what large letters I've written to you with my own hand. Why is Paul, parchment, you don't want to write large letters. Parchment's hard to come by. But he's writing large letters. Why? I believe so he could see what he's writing. And Paul had his own distinguishing mark where he said he signed all his letters. And I believe that was how he signed it. He just wrote real big, okay? Because he had a umenuensis, or uh, a... Uh, uh, Umanuensis uh, was a secretary, you know, that would write for you and then you could sign your letters. And why do I think Paul's writing long letters? He doesn't say, what a long letter I wrote to you. He says, he says, see what large letters I have written to you, meaning letters, Greek letters, right? And look what else he says. Listen to this. Same, same letter, Galatians. Listen to what Paul writes. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you. Whose bodily illness, Paul's? But you know it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. 
And you did not despise that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition. In other words, Paul's bodily condition was such where they could have despised him. It was grotesque in some way, it sounds like. You didn't despise that. He says, nor express contempt. You didn't come to me, Paul, you're gross. No, he says, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Now listen to what he says. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? He says, for I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. You would have uh, transplanted your eyes into my eyes. Why? Because of his bodily ailment. It seems connected to his what? Eyes, especially at the end of the letter. He says, see which what large letters I wrote to you. So I believe that's what Paul could have been saying. Lord, I don't, maybe it didn't look good. Maybe he looked deformed in some way. I don't know because he says you didn't hold me in contempt because of my condition, but you treat me like an angel. And what's sad is when people get caught up in the word faith, but when people are sick, they begin to judge them. They get diseases, sicknesses, leukemia. They die a cold death often because you just won't have enough faith. Oh, Frank's in there dying. He must not have enough faith. He must have sinned. He's not getting healed. When that, and they die a cold death, many of them, because of that doctrine. You know, but when you know who Jesus is, you know he loves you and you can even get sick. I was talking to James when he came in, when, I, when, when he came in and he was sharing with me and Austin was sharing this with me as well about John Partridge, a mutual friend of all of ours. And he's just, I think he's a little younger than me, right, James? And he's dying of prostate cancer and he only has a little bit of time to live. Pray for him and Charlene. I know Charlene too. I haven't seen them for years. They'd moved up. They live in Coeur d'Alene area. But uh, he, he's hoping to go to his daughter's wedding. Maybe he has just how much time, James? A month or two, maybe? Maybe, you know. So pray. Father, we do pray for John right now that he'd be able to see the wedding and your son's name. But he's a bigger kind of guy. and He's down to like 140 pounds. And you know what? James says he's full of faith. Him and his wife, Charlene, they're just trusting Jesus and he knows the future he has in the Lord and that he was hardly eating anything. Doctors saying you got to eat, but James and Andrew, who's get 10 minutes with somebody, but he spent, was it Andrew with you, James? Uh, he spent uh, an hour and a half almost or so with them and he had ice cream. The doctor's like, eat anything. He's two pieces of pizza, you know? And, but you know what? James could have went in there and Andrew, you just don't have enough faith, man. What's wrong with you? Just believe, you know? But that's not the tact James took. He just loved him in the Lord, you know? And we need to love each other. We're all dying. Everyone, each day you're decaying more and more. Amen? Rich is bobbing his head harder than anybody, you know? <laughs> As he's blowing his nose right now. No kidding. <laughs> Sorry, Rich, man. I already threw myself under the bus, you know? But, uh, but it's interesting because I love what Paul says. It's because of my body illness that I preached the gospel to you. In other words, what was going bad in my life, God used it for the good. He, it sounds like Philippians, a little bit different situation. He's in the Philippian prison, writing about the joy of the Lord. He says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. I mean, I'm sitting here in prison, but guess what? God has a plan through that. You guys, that's way better than the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, they're naming it, claiming it. They're not getting what they want. They're getting frustrated, thinking, man, I must not be doing it right. Maybe I don't even have a relationship with God, wondering if they're even saved. We're like, man, guess what? We get sick, God uses it for the good. And if we don't even see how he's using it for the good, now he is using it for the good. It's like those rugs you see that are so beautiful on one side, you turn them over, they're all knotted up because of how they stitched it. This life is the stitching part. 
God's doing all the stitching, amen? But when God's done with us, there'll be this beautiful tapestry, amen? It's like when they build the temple, you know, and they built the temple, and they brought them up to Mount Moriah, the temple stones, which are huge stones. They didn't build the, they built the, they, they hewed. They were hewing the, uh, and, and chiseling and, and hammering the stones down below. Then they'd bring them up above where they fit perfectly. We're down below right now. We're in the valley. We're not heaven. We're being chiseled right now, amen? And God's using that to make us this beautiful temple of God, uh, stones, living stones that'll be with him forever and ever. Oh yeah, the apostles, man, to be absent from the body, Paul says, to be present with the Lord. Praise God. Looks bad. Guess what? I'm going to be with Jesus. Look what we have. You know, the apostle John, I, maybe I should, wish I just would. I got killed. Now I'm on Patmos. Nothing to hardly eat. I'm on this little island. And then Jesus appears and gives him the book of Revelation. Amen. God is just so good. But, but Joe, yeah, I see we get the healing. We get the resurrection. We get all things in Christ later. But what about that Ferrari and Maserati? And, well, guess what, man? Don't sweat it. I, you and I, we get flying horses. Okay? Amen? When Jesus comes back, he's coming back with the armies of heaven with a, and he's on a white horse and we'll be on white horses with him. Amen? We'll be able to fly. Don't even worry about that. You're going to have... I mean, these guys, these rich people that are in like Silicon Valley in Northern California, they're trying to discover all these ways to live forever. But they're just trying to first get to 200 years. They can't get to 200 years even. That's a long way off. And that's just going to prolong their misery if they don't know Jesus because they're going to be separated from him forever. Amen. We have so much in Christ, you guys. This is where it gets confusing. Some people say, well, what about Jesus? He healed everyone that came to him. You know, and he's always doing these healings. That means he wants everyone to be healed. No, you know, he wants us all ultimately to be healed. Amen. And praise God, we will be. And praise God, anything you're going through in this planet, the joy that you will, you'll be subsumed by in eternity will just blow it away. Just keep holding on to Jesus. Keep being patient. But Jesus said, if you don't believe my words, believe my miracles. He, his healings, yeah, he had compassion on people, but it was to confirm who he was. Because in Luke chapter 4, when he announced his coming, he opened the scroll of Isaiah and says, which says who the Messiah would be, that he'd heal the sick, he'd unstop their ears, the lame would walk, right? And then that was how he'd prove that he was Messiah. In fact, when John the Baptist was arrested, and John the Baptist was put in prison, and John the Baptist is going to be beheaded, and John the Baptist is like, wait, what's going on here? What did I sign up for? Because a lot of them wanted the Messiah to just take over from the Roman Empire. And he's like, what's going on? And then John the Baptist said, go and see if he's the one. Like, why am I in prison? They go to Jesus. Jesus, John the Baptist wants to know you're the one. He goes, go back to John the Baptist and say that I'm healing the sick. I'm raising the dead. I'm opening the eyes of the blind. And blesses the one who does not fall away because of me. In other words, guess what? I have the credentials of the Messiah. I was, he was confirming his coming. Are you with me? That's heavy when you think about it. In fact, you know what? Remember the paralyzed guy? He was totally paralyzed for all these years. And then Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven you. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees and scribes are like, who does he think he is? No one can forgive sins but, but, but God. Well, they were right. And you know what Jesus said? He goes, yeah, you're right. But which is hard to do? Say your sins are forgiven? Or tell this paralytic, rise up and walk. He goes to show you that I'm the son of man. Rise up and walk. <laughs> Guy gets up. 
What was he doing? He's confirming who he is as a son of man, the Messiah. Amen. So they take these things and say, oh, look, we should all be doing these healings and everything and we should all be healed. Brothers and sisters, a lot of my message is be patient, be thankful, be content with what the Lord's given you. Amen. That doesn't mean you don't work hard. Christians should be the best workers. Amen. But we should be living for the Lord. Amen. And using the what God's blessed us with to seek to bless others. Doesn't mean you can't have a, a, a nice home or you can't have a nice car, but don't live for those things. Amen. And don't try to force heaven on earth because our resurrection we still await. Amen. The inheritance, we will inherit all things. That's still future. Be patient. If you try to force heaven on earth, have everything now and all that, you're going to hurt yourself. What happened with Abraham and Sarah when they didn't have the baby, when they thought they were going to have their baby? What did Sarah do? Abraham, take Hagar, your servant, the Egyptian, and have relations with her. She'll be a surrogate mother and have a child for us. Well, guess what happened? They got, who did they get? Ishmael, amen. Who claims to be the descendant of Ishmael? Muhammad. A lot, lot of people that hate the Jews and hated Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. The greatest enemies right now to Israel are a lot of the descendants of Ishmael and Esau because they brought forth Ishmael. And God said Ishmael is going to have descendants that are going to be princes. And it happened. But when you're not patient, like they did it in the flesh, right? Instead of waiting on the Lord. If you're not patient in your life, regarding your life, and you act out in the flesh, you're going to be birthing Ishmael's in your life. How many of you can say, yeah, I can see some Ishmael's I birthed because I wasn't patient with the Lord. Amen. I'm here to say to you, I love you guys. And the Lord doesn't want you to birth a bunch of Ishmael's in your life. Amen. That's one of the applications you want to make from this message. Don't put your, don't put your will before God's will. Say, God, you know what? I can't improve on your will. Amen. And that's a great place to rest in. Amen. And Lord, I know you're good. And I know if I force your hand and do things my own way, I'm going to birth an Ishmael. But I want to allow your son to be more and more formed in my heart and my life. Amen. And live for him. 